0: This past week, I put on my personal Facebook page a quote from the Bible Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Some of you saw my post. It says this Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient. To be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. As I cut and pasted that Bible reference onto my Facebook page, I want to tell you something that you wouldn't know unless I told you. But as I sat there at my desk, I paused before I hit the post button. Why why did I pause? Because as I looked at those verses, I thought, am I going to be stirring up controversy? Am I going to be inviting some negative feedback from some of my friends? Well, I I did look later, and except for a couple of sad emojis, which baffles me, by the way, except for a couple of sad emojis, everybody was pretty positive. Thank you if you were one of those. But as I thought about that, as I was reflecting on my own hesitation to hit the post button, I thought, what if, what if I had just chosen to select one phrase out of this Bible reference and put it on my Facebook page without any notation? What if I just picked a phrase? Put it up there without denoting this is from the Bible. I wonder what kind of responses I would have gotten. What if I would have just put stop quarreling? What do you think? What do you think? Uh, What kind of responses might I have gotten from some folks? Or how about this one? Come on, friends. Show perfect courtesy toward all people. Do you think if I'd have left off the Bible reference, I might have gotten some negative pushback on that one? Or how about this one? Come on, folks. Be submissive to rulers and authorities. (laughs) I'm not a prophet, but I'm pretty sure I would have gotten some pushback on that one. Isn't that interesting? But it is a quote from the Bible. It is the Word of God. We are living in these tumultuous times, aren't we? We've been living now for almost a year with covid And if the pandemic itself were not enough to be concerned with, we're living in a society that is passionately polarized on how to respond to the pandemic. We all know that our country is passionately polarized between maskers and anti-maskers. And to add to this already existing stress that we've been living with for about a year now, in recent months, the stress over social injustice and in politics has continued to increase. And just 10 or 11 days ago, it boiled over, didn't it? And for the first time, listen, for the first time since the War of 1812, the capital. What's been referred to in our country as the shrine of democracy was invaded. We're looking over our shoulders at just a little over a week ago, 10 or 11 days ago. But I'm confident that there are some people listening to me right now in this room or online that are concerned looking ahead. The inauguration of a new president, the inauguration of a new administration is going to happen in just a few days. What's going to happen? But the question I have for us today is this. What are we Christians, what are we followers of Christ supposed to do? How are we supposed to live in this context? Does the Bible give us any clear direction on how we should live in this polarized, stressed filled culture. Let's turn to that same passage, Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. You might turn there in your Bible, Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And by the way, for those of you that came expecting to hear Pastor Mark today, my apologies, I was looking forward to it as well. But some of you know, some of you weren't aware that uh, this past week he was inadvertently exposed to someone with COVID and, and uh, has to quarantine. He called me Thursday night and asked if I would uh, be willing to preach today. And those of you that know me know that it would be a delight. And this very passage that I put on my Facebook page is the one the Lord brought to my mind. So this morning, we're going to take a break from our Waypost series, looking at Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. How are we supposed to live in these dark days? If you look at those two verses that I read out loud here just a minute ago, you'll notice that in these two short verses, there are seven, you can count them, seven directives, seven ways Paul tells Titus, teach the people in Crete to live this way in their pagan culture. Some of these might be surprising to you. And you might even feel like, you know what, if we live that way, we're going to be swimming upstream against the current of our culture and you will be right. I'll tell you what, let's read it one more time. This time, you pay attention to these seven directives. What I've done for the sake of my own, again, the word of God, Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Paul says to Titus, Remind them, the people, the Christians on Crete, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. It's interesting how Paul begins his directive to Titus in his ministry at the various churches around the island of Crete. He says, remind them. You know, sometimes we need reminded we need reminded not only of the gospel truths, even as we were singing about this morning, but we need reminded of what difference that makes. I've been fascinated in recent years with Titus chapter 2. In Titus chapter 2 begins with similar words from Paul to Titus. He says, Titus, teach the people what accords with sound doctrine." I could summarize this briefly, I would say here's sound doctrine. Here's the gospel truth that centers on Jesus Christ, who he is, what he has done. That gospel truth is not ethereal. It's not out there abstract. It's practical. Doctrine is practical. Our beliefs determine our behavior. And so here's Paul telling Titus, Titus, be sure you do this. As you go around these infantile churches around the island of Crete, Teach the people what difference the gospel makes in everyday life. Teach the old men to live this way. Titus, Show them how the gospel relates to the old men. Tell the older ladies, here's the gospel and how it makes a difference in your life. Young women, here's how the gospel makes a difference in your life. Young men, here's how the gospel makes a difference in your life. And he continues that theme through the whole book of Titus. And here as it begins... Chapter 3, he says, Remind them, Titus. Peter felt the same need to the people he was writing to, didn't he? When Peter wrote his second letter, he said, So I will always remind you of these things. And then it's interesting what Peter says. He says, Even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have, I think it's right to refresh your memory. And so the fact that there is these reminders doesn't mean that we never heard it before. It does mean we heard it before. The problem is we can lose sight of these truths. I thought about that as we're living in this current polarized, volatile culture today. And I began to think, you know what, it feels like people are always shouting at us. People are shouting, well, we we have the right view of the pandemic. Listen to me, listen to me. We have the right view. And, and on politics, someone else says, we have the right view on politics. Listen to me. And someone else says, no, they're all wrong. Listen to me. And it's like we have all these people shouting at us. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to, me. Listen to our side. Because we know what we're talking about. Those other people, they don't know what they're talking about. And, and after a while, it's like the cacophony, the, the noise level in our culture just keeps increasing. And pretty soon it feels like I can... I can hardly hear the voice of God. So many people are shouting in our culture, I can, I can hardly hear the, the voice of God. And so we need reminded. It's like we need someone to remind us. Well, let's, let's, let's listen. Let's listen to God. What does God say? He says in these seven directives, I group the first ones together as Christ followers are to be good citizens. We're to be good citizens. To be submissive to rulers and authorities. And just to clarify, Paul isn't saying here, be subjected. No, he says, submit yourselves. Submit yourselves. Voluntarily say, yes, I will submit myself to the government leaders even though we Christians are citizens of heaven, even though ultimately we're under the lordship of King Jesus, we are still in the meantime citizens of whatever country God has placed us in. Whether it was Rome, whether it's the USA or Canada or Cameroon or Mexico or Tanzania or Taiwan, whatever country, be submissive. Submit yourself to those in authority. and Someone might be pushing back even quietly saying, but what if? But what if the government is not acting in a Christian way? What if the government is acting in a pagan way? Do I have to submit myself to a government that's not acting in a Christian way? Friends, This just back up a step or two and think about who wrote this and when he wrote it by the Holy Spirit. It was the Apostle Paul. Well, what government was he living under? Rome. Rome was overtly pagan. And not only was Rome overtly pagan, but Paul personally had been abused by that government. And so even though the government, the governmental system in his day was pagan, and even though he suffered personally because of that, he didn't say, stand up for your rights, push back on those pagans in Rome. He said, remind the people, Titus, to submit themselves to those in authority. You know, not only Rome as an empire, but Crete as a province was known to be especially difficult. Titus was on the island of Crete in the Mediterranean. I was reading something that um, Polybius wrote. Polybius was a second century B.C. Greek historian. And Polybius said this, It is almost impossible to find personal conduct more treacherous or public policy more unjust than in Crete. Isn't that fascinating? That even an historian who was alive in that general era said, Crete's one of the worst places to live. It it is hard to live in Crete. And so here's Paul Writing to Titus on the island of Crete, so under the general umbrella of Rome, and yet also, yes, there are, there are times, and can I say they are exceptional, there are times, exceptions, when human authorities tell us to directly obey divine authority, and in those unusual situations, in those exceptional situations, we must, as the Apostle said in Acts chapter 5, I think it's verse 29, they said, we must obey God rather than man. But you read that context of Acts 5, you know something that's fascinating to me there? The Apostles who chose to disobey the government because the, the human authorities were subverting God's authority, They accepted the consequences of their peaceful disobedience. They accepted it. They said, we're going to have to disagree. I'm sorry, sir. I'm sorry, sir. I can't do what you're telling me to do. It goes right against what God said. But in my disobedience, I understand if I have to suffer the consequences. It's a picture that seems so unlike what we're seeing today, my friends. There are exceptions. You know, if you, find, if you find it difficult to submit yourself to government authorities, if you say, I don't like that. I don't like these guys. I don't like what they stand for. I don't like their character. I don't like their policies. Maybe a good thing to do would be to pray for them. The same apostle said in First Timothy 2, chapters 1 through 3, He said, first of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, and listen, this is the word of God, for all who are in high positions, all who are in high positions. He didn't say pray for the leaders who represent your political party, but don't pray for the ones that are from the other party. He says, pray for all who are in our position that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. So if you're struggling, and I'm not the Holy Spirit, and I'm not going to play Holy Spirit today in your life, but if you find your heart finding it very difficult to submit yourself to anybody in authority, I encourage you to do what the Apostle Paul said. Pray for them. Pray for them. It will be interesting to see what the Spirit does in your life regarding your attitude. That's just the first one. We're going to speed it up a little bit here. Secondly, he says, a second directive, he says to be obedient. Can I ask you a question? Thanks. Why would Christians be hostile toward the government? Why would we be hostile toward the government? Let me ask you another question. Who ordained governments? Do you know what the Word of God says? I keep going back to the Bible. Do you know what the Word of God says? I'm reading now from Romans 3. 13, and if you're taking notes, you can jot that reference down. Romans 13, verses 1 and 2, the apostle there says, let every person be subject to governing authorities. Listen, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Are you ready for the next sentence? Therefore, whoever resists authority resists authority what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Think about that in light of what's going on in our country. God himself ordained governments: Our government, the government in Tanzania, the government in Ireland, the government in China. God ordained governmental authority. And when we resist those unnecessarily, when we resist those, it's like we're resisting God. We're saying, I don't like what you're doing, God. I don't like who you put in that place. And I'm not going to stand for it. That attitude is an expression, ultimately, of resistance against God. Christians should recognize that divine, that divine commission God has given governments and obey the laws Obey. Be obedient. Obey the laws of the land. Tax season's coming up. We should be obeying tax laws. I know this is going to step on toes, but we should obey traffic laws, (laughs) building codes, trespassing laws, and on and on it goes that Christians, Christ followers, should be good citizens by, by obeying. And then Paul adds his third directive. Be ready for every good work. I want you to think about that for a minute. Be ready for every good work. He's saying Christians ought to be more than just passively obedient. Okay, I'm not going to cause trouble. No, he says be active. Be actively looking for good things to do. Christians, Christ's followers should be givers and not just takers. Why is that? Why should Christians, above all the citizens, you think of all the citizens from all the stripes across our country, why should we Christ followers stand out as it were, as those who do good. Why should that be important to us? Because we are recipients of God's undeserved grace. He has shown us grace upon grace. Grace that not only did we not deserve, but we actually deserve the opposite. He's shown us ill-deserved grace. Grace. Look at Titus chapter 2. You probably don't even have to turn the page depending on how your Bible's laid out. But in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, look at this word for. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us. The gospel, the grace of God, trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for him connection there. That if we focus, if we park for a while, marinate for a while in the gospel, we say, oh, God, I deserve condemnation, but not only did you not show me that condemnation. Not only were you merciful to me, but you were gracious to me. You gave me grace because of Jesus Christ. You have been so generous with me. You have been so kind, so good to me. That that astonished gratitude for what we've been given overflows in how generous we are toward other people. The Christians, Christ followers, recipients of God's amazing grace, should be eager to do what is good. I'm always so thankful to hear stories of people here in our church family that are are reflecting Christ this way. It could be something as simple as finding out someone in our church that's quarantined and saying, hey, can can I bring over some groceries for you? Or know that there's someone lonely, maybe lost a spouse, or maybe can't get out for fear of their frail health, and, and you're texting or calling. Or maybe you're looking for ways to serve those who are hurt financially during this pandemic, and you're being generous with your stuff, generous with your finances. I don't always hear stories. Some of them are done privately. But when I hear stories like that, I think, thank you, Lord. That you're reflecting your grace through this brother, this sister from our church family. Kids, kids, you Christian kids, when you go to school and and you see that kid in your class that no one seems to befriend, that you reflect Christ. That you become a friend of the friendless, even as Christ was a friend to you. Be eager to do what is good. And now Paul seems to shift when we get to verse 2 from being citizens to being neighbors. That We Christ followers are not only called upon to be good citizens but we're called upon to be good neighbors. He says in verse 2, he says, to speak evil of no one. Some of you know I'm a word geek so I spent some time in some of these individual words And, and this word here means To not insult, to not denounce, or we would say not demean someone. I I admit it can be so frustrating to live in this polarized, volatile culture. And it's so easy to take out our frustration by saying things either aloud or on social media that we can post things that are insulting, even mean-spirited about those stupid people who believe such and such. Those stupid people that are doing such and such. And it's demeaning. And we can justify our mean spirited words by saying, well, look what they're doing. Look what they're talking about. Look what they're saying. As if somehow responding with their demeaning words, with our demeaning words, is justified. Now I'm sure I've forgotten a lot about what my parents taught me many years ago, but one that maybe your parents taught you too, is two wrongs don't make a right. The fact that they're being mean-spirited doesn't make a right for you to be mean-spirited, for me to be mean-spirited. What did Paul tell the Romans? In Romans chapter 12, verses 14, and now I'm going to drop down to verse 17, and in Romans 12, he says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Huh. Maybe we should put those verses as a screensaver, what do you think? (laughs) When we're tempted to fight fire with fire, say, no, Lord, let me reflect the grace I've been shown. Let me give thought to that. We need to remember, listen friends, we need to remember that those unconverted people with whom we may be so frustrated are not the enemy, they're the mission field. Why would we go around speaking evil about someone or to someone and then realize later I need to be reaching out to that person with the gospel? The progress, the spread of the gospel ought not to be impeded by how we live. The gospel includes words but those words that the grace of Jesus Christ is necessary to be right with God those words are promoted by lives that illustrate that or impeded by lives that decry that. I was reading something that D.A. Carson, Don Carson wrote interestingly about 15 years ago but I thought how apropos for our day. Dr. Carson said this, when you're busy hating everybody and denouncing everybody and seeking political solutions to everything, it's very difficult to evangelize, isn't it? That seems so obvious and yet how easy it is to forget that. That if we're spending our energy denouncing people, then shifting gears and seeking to evangelize them seems not only abrupt but almost impossible. And if we have demean people with ugly words, if we've denounced and demeaned them, why, why would they listen to us when we go to share the gospel? Why, why would they be interested in listening to us at all? But if we show them grace, we win a hearing. Look at verse 3. This, this is helpful to me. We, we're not expounding on verse 3 today, but just look at it for a minute. <laughs> Paul continues with a connecting word, doesn't he? He says, don't speak evil of people. You get the verse three. he says, for, here's the reason now, here's the, the foundation to it. For we ourselves were once foolish and disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our day. You used to be in your BC days. In your BC days, that's the way you were. That's the way we were. And now the grace of God has come. Look at verse 4. But, but, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, by the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Do you see the flow here? Do you see the gospel connection to daily life? Paul says, back in your BC days, that's the way you lived. You hated people. People hated you. They denounced you. You denounced them. We all used to live that way in our BC days. But the grace of God's appeared. It's changed us. It's changed us. And now we live differently. Friend, have you been gripped by God's grace? Have you been gripped by God's grace? When I was a young man, an older man gently confronted me one time with my cocky attitudes and he said this and I remembered it. He says, those who are most gripped by God's grace tend to be the most gracious. Those were wise words spoken to me, a brash young man. Those who are most gripped by God's grace tend to be the most gracious. Friends I, I said I'm not going to play Holy Spirit in your life. But if you do an honest assessment of your own words, your own attitude, your own actions lately and you say, you know what, I've been harsh, I've been rude, I've been demeaning. Can I just ask you as a friend and as one of your pastors have you lost your gaze at God's grace? Have you lost your gaze? Paul continues in Titus chapter 3 verse 2 he says another directive he says to avoid quarreling to be gentle those two are a pair don't do this, do this avoid quarreling, be gentle Avoid quarreling has the idea of being peaceable or uncontentious. The idea is you don't go around demanding your rights. A professed Christ follower should not be known in the community, should not be known on social media, should not be known at work or at school as someone who's hard to get along with. I think that would be a good explanation. Uncontentious means you're not hard to get along with. Do the people who know you, People who read your posts, people that are with you at school or at work, people who live in your home, but they know you to be uncontentious. Hmm. that you are gentle. you're a gentle person that has the idea of being kind or gracious, that as Christ 's followers, we reflect our gracious Savior, don't we? He's, he's gracious, and I want to reflect him by how I live with my family, the how I live with my coworkers, my classmates, the people in my community, the people I'm connected with on social media. I want to reflect my gracious Savior. And then a seventh directive. There at the end of verse two, he says, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. To show perfect courtesy has the idea of being meek. It's the opposite of pride or roughness or self-assertion. And it's interesting how Paul says this so broadly. If I were to give you a more literal translation, it would be something like this. Show all meekness to all people. Show all meekness to all people. We followers of Christ should show this kind of humble courtesy. Courtesy the people of all races, people of all socioeconomic brackets, and yes, even the people who have different persuasions on the pandemic or on the political scene. Show all meekness to all people. Show perfect courtesy to all people. Why should that be important to us? Why should that resonate in our hearts? If we say, well, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ follower. Are you following in his steps? Jesus stood before a Galilean crowd. Matthew records it for us in Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. He says, take my yoke upon yourself. He says, come learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. Same words. Come learn from me. Is your gaze on Jesus? Are you saying, I want to reflect my Savior? He's a gentle, he's a gracious Savior. In our relationships, here in this divided, dark, depraved society. We should be reflecting our humble savior. When I was doing research for my first book, Walking Like Jesus, I came across a long forgotten quote by a South African pastor named Andrew Murray. And I was so convicted by it myself that I made a little poster to put in my office. It hung there for years. It says, a proud follower of a humble Savior. This I cannot, this I may not be. How can we be proud followers of a humble Savior? Friends, let's take just a few minutes here and think about this culture in which we're living, especially here in the USA. I'm not telling you anything new to tell you that our country is so divided right now. Our country is so divided over the pandemic. Our country is very divided and our country is very dark. According to the word of God, this world, since Adam and Eve sinned, has always been dark but I think we go through seasons when it gets darker. There is so much hatred right now. What is God's, here's my question friends, what is God's calling on us as Christ followers right now? What mission has He given us as His people, His church? Well, Rather than leaving it in the realm of speculation and opinions, let's listen to our Savior Himself. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they might see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Our desire by how we live is for people in the world to say, look at their God, look at their God. How else can you explain these people who live so differently than they used to, than they live currently, than the culture around them? They see your good works and glorify God. That's the world we're living in, and that's our mission. So let's evaluate. How are we doing? Have you ever seen a lunar eclipse? They come around every so many months. Lunar eclipse is when the moon no longer reflects the sun because the world gets in the way. And I wonder how many of us are living in a spiritual lunar eclipse. We were called to reflect the sun the Son of God. And yet all so often the world gets in the way and our reflection of Him grows dull. So what might be the Holy Spirit calling us to? For sake of brevity, let me say it in two phrases. I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to face the sun. To face the sun, where have you been facing lately? If you're on this side of the political spectrum, this side of the pandemic, you might be facing people who agree with you, people who support you, people who stir up, stoke up your passions on your opinion about those issues, but if you're on this side, You might be facing people on that side and and through their podcasts, through their news feeds, through their social media, that's who you're listening to, that's who you're facing and it, it stirs you up, it stokes you in your opinions to differentiate you with people on the other side. Might not, and I'm presenting this as an option, might not the Holy Spirit be calling us as a church to repent of that? And to face the sun. That as his people, instead of running to social media, looking for our latest news feed, listening to this podcast, that podcast, and we say, Lord, what did you want me to hear today? That we face the sun. That we go to the throne before we go to the phone. that we face the sun. And then secondly, that we reflect the sun. What did Jesus say? Let your light shine before others so that they might see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Let your light shine. I'd like to do something right now. I would like to give you a minute or two of quiet before the Lord. And maybe the Spirit's calling on you to stop doing something you're doing. Or maybe He's calling you to do something that you haven't been doing. I'll leave that between you and Him. But why don't you talk to Him right now about that? And then in a couple of minutes I'll pray aloud as the worship team comes and I'll be back in a few minutes after that to leave you with a word of benediction. Let's each pray.